how many of you feel sleepy? Be honest. Ah, okay. I give you opportunity now to close your eyes. Everyone close your eyes. Ah, I can see some of you doing some last-minute studying. Huh? Okay, what is our church's vision? Yeah, not bad. I, I hear some of it. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, nurturing... Okay, you can open your eyes. Huh? Nurturing disciples to be a spirit-filled, impactful church. And what is our track conference vision? Come, follow, become like Pastor. <laughs> Come, follow, become like Jesus. Don't become like me. <laughs> okay, so last week we looked at the first essential to achieve this vision. Uh, the essential of personal growth, of knowing Christ and becoming like Christ. So that was the there, there are four essentials. That was the first essential to achieve this vision of come, follow, become like Jesus. Today we're looking at the second essential. Uh, please click. I think it's not focused on the slide. Thank you. Okay, so come follow, become like Jesus. Today we're looking at the second essential, building community. Okay, so say it with me. Building community. Okay, so this is our second essential in order to achieve the vision of coming, following, becoming like Jesus. And the, the scripture verse that guides this whole area of building community was what was read to us just now. Uh, in order to build Christ-centered communities. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you to be built up together, we pray that you speak to us, that you minister to us, that you convict our hearts for your purposes. May I be found faithful to the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay. Raise your hand if you have heard of any of these people. So I'm going to uh, read out some names. If you heard of these people, you raise your hand. Huh? Okay. First one, Nikki Diego. Nikki's Tutorials. She's a makeup artist or vlogger. Anyone? Oh, I see. Okay, one hand. Good. Uh, Burak Ozdemir uh, is... CZN Burak is, is the, the, the title. Huh? He's a chef, he's a restaurateur. Also, also got somebody who's heard of him. Okay. Simeon Panda. He's a fitness vlogger. Funny name, but <laughs> incredible body. Anyone? Oh, no bodybuilders here. Okay. Uh, the Bucket List family. They are travel vloggers. Oh, God. Okay. Uh, Felix Arvid Ulf Kjellberg. Also known as PewDiePie. Okay, okay, more. Huh? All right. Now, what do all these people have in common? Other than funny names, <laughs> and uh, they, they, they also reveal the average age of our congregation. I actually had to go and search some of these people. I also don't know some of them. Huh? Uh, what they have in common is they have millions of followers and subscribers across all kinds of social platforms. Okay, uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, now known as X uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, and YouTube. Right? And so millions and millions of followers. 
and they are our modern-day celebrities. Also known as, today, they are known as influencers, okay? Uh, because that is what they do through social media. That is their, their identity. That is their job, influencing people based on their, their area of expertise or area of uh, entertainment or whatever. And so when they post something, millions of people are being influenced by their content. So whether their post is some text or their post is a photo or a video, uh, millions of people are following, they read it, they see it, they watch it, and they are influenced as a result. And so they end up wanting to use these same products used by these influencers. Same brand of makeup, same brand of fitness clothing, same brand of gaming chairs, same brand of wireless earbuds, whatever. And so their influence is so great that they can earn millions of dollars just for making one sponsored post on Instagram. Imagine your Instagram, you just post one post, millions of dollars. <laughs> and so um, this is an example. Uh, maybe these celebrities are a little more familiar to more generations. Huh? Uh, people like Cristiano Ronaldo, Kylie Jenner, Lionel Messi, Selena Gomez, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, uh, Kim Kardashian, Ariana Grande, Beyonce, Khloe Kardashian, and Kendall Jenner. Right, so one post, two million dollars. <laughs> one post, one point eight million dollars. Okay, and so they, they, the, the same idea is here. They influence millions, and their influence is very, very, very valuable, to the point where one simple thing is millions of dollars worth. 60, 70 years ago, okay, so the older generation is like apaini, apaini, uh, 60, 70 years ago. People like, you heard of Elvis Presley? Oh, yeah, got huh? You heard of the Beatles? Uh, got, right? They have the same kind of influence on millions through their music. And so, even though they are based in wherever, la, Britain, la, US, la, people in Malaysia also cannot influence, you know. How do you know this? You look at your old family albums, huh? you see the glasses they wear, huh? You see the hairstyles they keep? You see the pants that they wear? Uh, so, influence. One person influences millions. And so a person's influence can be very, very powerful because it has the potential to affect, to impact so many lives. And the same is true for Christians. But the Christian faith, the way of Jesus, is so much more valuable than any earthly brand or product because it is something the, the Christian faith, the gospel following Jesus is something that outlasts any brand any product for eternity and the way that God involves us in his work of influencing others is through being in community that we can only ever influence others, we can only ever be influenced if we are in community. And so the big idea of this passage, my sermon, uh, is that Christians must remain in community to influence and be influenced for Christ. Okay, so this is a takeaway message. The one thing to remember, 
Christians must remain in community to influence and be influenced for Christ. Now, the scripture that is guiding this essential of building community is taken from Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verses 24 to 25. But before we zoom into those two verses, we need to establish some context. Huh? Okay? What, what is it talking about? Not just look at those two verses. Before Hebrews chapter 10, the earlier chapters, if you want to check, you, you can take out your Bibles and look. Huh? Okay? So before Hebrews chapter 10, the earlier chapters, uh, chapter 9, chapter 8, uh, they established the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross as the way for our forgiveness, uh, the way of forgiving our sins once and for all. And so, uh, the writer of Hebrews was saying, okay, sacrifice of Jesus, scout him everything already, okay? Because of the sacrifice of Jesus, you can come into the holy presence of God. Uh, and so, this is the immediate context for our passage today that because of the sacrifice of Jesus, He's dealt with our sins, we have confidence to come into God's holy presence through the sacrifice of Jesus. And so therefore, because we have this confidence, because we have our sins dealt with and we can come into God's presence, therefore we can live a certain way. Okay, then it moves on into the application. Now there's also a, a larger context to the book of Hebrews what was happening during the time of the writing of this letter. Now, uh, we don't know the, the name, the exact identity of who wrote this letter to the Hebrews, but uh, essentially we know that it was written during a time when the church, Christians, followers of Jesus, were facing great persecution. Okay, so the book of Hebrews likely was written during the period of great persecution by this Roman emperor named Nero. You heard of Nero before? Not the CD burner. Huh? Uh, a Roman emperor who, he's the most infamous one. Lah. The, the one that people call crazy, evil, mad, whatever. Lah. Okay, and apparently, uh, one of the, the legends is that uh, a great fire broke out in Rome. That's a reality. That's, that's historical fact. But one of the legends is that he watched Rome burn and he played a fiddle. Uh, he sang while, while it was burning, okay, something like that. Uh, and so, after this great fire in AD 64, there were several speculations. How did this fire start? Some say accident, lah. But a lot of rumours said that it, Nero was involved in ordering the fire, okay, ordering his men to set fire at different parts of Rome. Uh, for various reasons, la, to remake it in his image, la, whatever. La. And so, because these rumours were going around, Nero needed a scapegoat. And so he used the Christians as a scapegoat. And he said, the Christians started the fire for whatever reason. Okay? And so because of that, Christians became actively persecuted because they are responsible for this great crime against the empire of Rome, which is like you know, the, the kingdom of the world at that point. And so as a result, there was a great persecution of Christians far beyond what they had experienced in the book of Acts. Remember in the book of Acts, stoning of Stephen, right? Saul from Tarsus, uh, persecution of Christians. This was way worse, way, way, way worse. One secular historian records Christians being thrown to lions, crucified, 
and not just crucified, but crucified and set on fire so that they can serve as street lamps in the city at night. Okay, so back then, no lampu. Eh? Uh, so burning Christians on the cross, uh, on, on these crucifixes, uh, were the street lamps in, in Rome. So very, very tough time to be a Christian. And so again, context, eh? because of the confidence that Christians have in forgiveness for sins and coming into God's presence, therefore, despite very difficult circumstances such as this great persecution. Therefore, Christians are still able to consider how they might spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together and encourage one another because of the confidence they have despite all these persecutions. Okay? They can do all that because of sacrifice of Jesus. Okay, so that is the context of verses 24 and 25. So from verses 24 to 25, we'll be looking at three aspects of community. Firstly, the beneficial call to community. Secondly, the danger of neglecting community. And thirdly, the compelling reason for community. Let's look at the first one, the beneficial call to community. Now, the call to community is given to every Christian. If you notice, every time we, we baptize someone, we don't just baptize and that's it, right? It is always followed by reception into membership. They are baptized and then they are received into the membership of the church because there is no such thing as a solo Christian. There's no such thing as I follow Jesus on my own and I don't ever interact with any other Christian. When the Holy Spirit came upon the believers at Pentecost, that was the birth of the church, the gathering of believers. And when they scattered from Jerusalem after the first persecution that I mentioned, they went on to gather and find other believers to form new churches or make other believers and they form new churches and then the apostles went around gathering believers together, planting new churches, teaching. And the letters in the New Testament were written to the churches. Uh, some were written to individuals, but many were written to churches. And so most examples of worship and teaching, not just in New Testament, but also Old Testament, were in the context of the gathering of God's people. Tons and tons of teachings by Jesus and the apostles also refer to how to treat other believers within the church. Okay, so when, when, we, we, come, when we become followers of Jesus, we become part of a family of believers. We follow alongside other believers. But community is not just the people that we meet in church. Within a Christian family, family members also count as Christian community. And for many Christian families, the family unit is the first kind of community that we encounter. And so this is the same pattern that is given in the Bible, both Old and New Testaments, that parents who knew the Lord were given the primary responsibility of raising their children 
and preparing them for adulthood, not just physically, not just socially, but also spiritually. Now, we are all responsible for our own faith. Yes, we cannot force our faith on others. And, and trust me, raising a child the Christian way, you know, bringing them to church, uh, bringing them to Sunday school regularly, praying with them, teaching them the Bible, none of this guarantees that they will embrace the Christian faith for themselves when they grow up. Just like how when you raise a child to know how to eat healthily, know how to exercise, it doesn't guarantee they're going to grow up and live a healthy lifestyle. Right? But what it does mean is that when the child is old enough, they can make an informed choice. They can own a decision for themselves about whether they want to embrace the Christian faith for themselves or not. They get to choose, so the example of uh, being healthier, they get to choose what to eat, they get to choose whether or not to exercise, but they know the consequences of their choices. They're responsible for them. If a parent brought a child up and didn't say anything, didn't teach them anything about health, lah. let them gorge themselves on cakes and candy all day, uh, doesn't teach them about healthy eating, doesn't teach them about exercise, not only would the child grow up overweight and with lots of tooth decay, they will also very likely continue into adulthood without knowing how to be a healthy adult. Some of you may have heard of the 414 window, any of you heard of this? 414 window? Some, huh? Okay. Uh, this is the age range, 4 years old to 14 years old, when people are most likely to accept Jesus as their Lord and Saviour across the world. 4 years old to 14 years old. That is 10 years. 10-year 10 window. So, Christian parents can't guarantee their children's faith as adults, but they can certainly equip them for it. And there's not a lot of time for it. Ten years passes very fast. The last time I was in Penang Trinity as assistant pastor was more than ten years ago already. Ten years flies very fast. Okay, so for parents of young children here, don't count your children out of Christian community. Now, the Christian family is also Christian community that God calls us to. And the reality is, in Malaysia, many of our families are not fully Christian. Right? Sometimes we are the only Christian in our family. In that case, we pray for those who don't know the Lord in our family to come to know the Lord for themselves. But once there is another believer in your family, even if the rest don't believe, those who do believe are called together to be a Christian community within that family. So we're called to be a community of faith in church, in family. And because church and family are made out of human beings, we are called to Christian community with all its imperfections, all its complications, all its messiness. But this call to community is not something we need to dread, 
something we need to, ah, yeah, this is such a reluctant burden and I have to carry it, it's weighing us down. It is a call that is beneficial to us and our faith. Why do I say that? Uh, we just look at the, the context of uh, the earlier chapters of Hebrews, right? It is also helpful to know what comes after uh, this Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. Passage today is from Hebrews chapter... Testing your, your attention. Hebrews chapter 10, right. What comes after Hebrews chapter 10? Hey, maths. Hebrews chapter 11. <laughs> okay, plus one. Now, how many of you can remember what Hebrews chapter 11 is famous for? Faith, right? And not just about faith. It has this long list of heroes of faith from the Old Testament. Uh, cuts across, right? So from Abel, the second generation of men, tracing through examples of faith seen in significant Old Testament characters, right? And so it goes, uh, uh, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Sarah, Jacob, and so on and so on and so on, right? And it goes, by faith, uh, this person is this, by faith, uh, this happened, by faith that they were like this. And so what was the point of talking about all these heroes of faith? It was to make the point that because of Jesus, we are in a better position than even them. Right? But on top of that, their examples of faith are also given to remind, to inspire, to help the readers of the letter to the Hebrews to persevere in their faith amidst all the difficulties that they were going through. Now, the Greek word for spurring on, okay? Uh, so, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, right? The Greek word for spurring on is literally to provoke. Okay, you know how somebody provokes another person uh, and they, they insult their family member, they insult their mother or whatever, right? And so, that person hear all the insults, already, punch. And so uh, uh, they are provoked into a fight, right? They cannot tahan, they end up fighting. So the writer of Hebrews says, let us consider how we may provoke others into love and good deeds. In the sense that because of you, because of what you say or what you do, people cannot help they cannot tahan, but to respond with love and good deeds. And so the right sort of example can do amazing things for spurring people on and encouraging them in their faith. Some of the most powerful moments in church history have been people responding to the example of others. Think of the example of uh, the, the Protestant reformers like Martin Luther. Right? That influenced people to stand up to the corruptions of the church uh, that was happening at that point of time in Europe. Uh, think of the abolishment of the slave trade in Britain. Uh, this was also the result of people being influenced by the example of people like William Wilberforce, right? I think Brother Chong Jin mentioned before, uh, who persevered for many years despite constant opposition from rich and powerful parties. 
And so think of someone who set an example for you, an example of faith for you. Maybe a family member, maybe another church member. And that because of them, you chose to love. You chose to do something good for someone else. Now, they might not have the same scale of influence as Martin Luther or William Wilberforce, but God used their example to spur you on towards love and good deeds, to encourage your faith. Many of us will have experienced some of our greatest spiritual highs in the midst of community. In some sort of, for, for many of us, especially when we're younger, some sort of camp, some sort of retreat with other believers and it is in that community that we are we, we are closest to God, we're most surrendered to God, uh, we're, we're most encountering God, right? Now, how would any of that be possible if Christians did not remain in community with one another? How can our faith be influenced by others to be strengthened or inspired if we do not remain in Christian community? If we're honest with ourselves, we know and sometimes we feel spiritually dry, we feel discouraged, we feel distant from God. And in those moments, very often the last thing we feel like doing is going for Sunday worship service, or going for small group, or going for prayer meeting, or going for a camp, or going for a retreat. We just don't feel like it. Like, right? But my experience has often been that we may drag ourselves into Christian community only to come away and leave feeling refreshed, encouraged, closer to God because of Christian community. Any of you share this experience? You really don't want to come, but then when you end up coming, you're thankful that you came? Yeah? And so, for all you know, it wasn't just you benefiting from that gathering of community. God may have also used you to inspire or encourage someone else there. And so the call to Christian community is given to all of us, but it is a beneficial call. It is good for our faith. It is good for the faith of others as well. So that's the first aspect of community. I'd like us to look at the beneficial call of community. Second, the danger of neglecting community. The writer of Hebrews warns against giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Now, the Greek for this giving up meeting together literally is abandoning, assembling together. Okay? And so this tells us two things. Abandoning, assembling together. It tells us two things. One, that this meeting together is not just two believers going out for a cup of coffee or going for a movie, uh, just so happens they're Christians and they're spending time together. It is the regular assembly and gathering, the church, for the purpose of regular worship, study, prayer, service, other aspects of church. Okay, so that's what this writer of Hebrews is talking about, church. Two, this meeting together was not an option. It was an expectation for all believers. And to abandon it was an act of neglect. And so this neglecting of community was also a habit for some. 
And once again, sorry I'm going into Greek uh, because there are a few words that are quite interesting in these two verses alone. Uh, the, the, the little Greek word for this habit, okay, that it had become a habit for some, is that it was the custom of some to neglect community. So it's not just that someone had made it a habit to, uh, you know, don't meet every now and then, and then uh, for a while, and then come back. It had become their custom. It had become a repeating pattern. It had become a lifestyle for them. Now, remember this warning is set in the context of persevering in faith amidst severe persecution. And so meeting together in those times means, if you're caught, torture death. You're identified as a Christian by associating with other Christians. So you, you, you get tortured, you get killed. And so those giving up meeting together, those abandoning assembling together, also implies that they no longer associate with other Christians. They either pretend to not be Christians or possibly they even leave the faith. Now perhaps you might say, just because I don't go to church, I don't go to small group, I don't go to a fellowship meeting, doesn't mean I have left the faith. Doesn't mean I have lost my salvation. And you're right. Our faith is not purely defined by church attendance or community activity. But remember the tremendous influence others can have on our faith and vice versa. The danger of not remaining in Christian community is usually a very slippery slope. During the height of the pandemic, many remained faithful in worshipping God regularly, meeting other believers virtually, but I'm sure many of us also discovered the temptation was far greater to drift away from God when we didn't meet regularly with other believers. And some people have shared, not in this church, huh? I can't remember from what retreat or conference or whatever, some have shared uh, that during the MCO, they took a break from church, right? And they didn't just take a break from church, they ended up taking a break from God altogether. Now, thankfully, those who, who shared this uh, had small group members who followed up with them, managed to convince them uh, to... Stop their break, okay, return. But many who take a break from community and God turn it into a custom, turn it into a lifestyle. And then it's no longer a break, but a broken relationship with God and His people. Many of our track churches have members whose children are studying and working in other cities. And in conversations I've had with parents about their children who are away, there has been a very, very clear correlation between the faith of their child and whether they are in some sort of Christian community, even if it's just a small group. And the more isolated they are from other Christians, the easier it is for them to either become discouraged in their faith or to face doubts in their faith. And the more they come together with other Christians, the easier it is for them to be encouraged in their faith and to be you know, spurred on towards love and good deeds. And so, 
parents with younger children, Christian community for your kids is important. And I would say that the, the meetings and camps that are near exams are especially important because they reveal values. And so consider carefully about the message you're giving to your children now about what kind of choices they should be making after they leave the nest. Now, for those of us who have children who have grown up, they're responsible for their own faith. But for those who still have this window to influence uh, our children in a very great way, uh, consider carefully what kind of message you're sending now. Yeah? Now, before I move on to the next point, I want to clarify that Christian community is not just coexisting. Okay, you can be a Christian family that never talks about God, never talks about the Christian faith. Any prayer or worship is done privately or individually. Uh, that is not Christian community. That is a family of Christians that coexist. Uh, likewise, in church, you can come to church you can worship God, you can pray to Him, you can read His Word with lots of people surrounding you. But that is also not necessarily Christian community. That can simply be coexisting with other Christians. Christian community is more than Christians coexisting together in the same space. It is a sharing of faith and life that involves vulnerability to allow others to get to know you, involves offering yourself to love and serve others as you get to know them. Much of the language that the Bible uses in describing Christian community paints a picture of faith and lives being shared at a heart level, not just a, a coexistence. I'm not saying we need to have a heart-to-heart -heart talk with every single person that we come across. Okay, we, we don't need to uh, see someone we've never met before and then instantly start, this is what happened, you know. Uh, but I am saying that if we always kept our distance from others, being physically present but unwilling to share life with others, then that's not very consistent with the picture of community that the Bible tends to give. And so where can we find this space to share faith and life? Uh, during a uh, uh, Sunday service, 10 a.m. or 5 p.m., that one, one and a half hours, is there that opportunity? Mm, I, I would say not really. Um, maybe come for breakfast together, uh, got opportunity, right? Uh, have lunch together after service, uh, got opportunity. Family is also another opportunity. And so, if, especially for, for those of you in, in families who have no clue how do you do Christian community? Uh, and family devotion seems very advanced, don't know how to start and all that. Here's an easy way, huh? easy way to start. If you've never talked about your faith before, you've never discussed it before, why not make it a conversation topic over dinner? Ask each other, today, Pastor preached very chong hey. What do you think about his sermon? Do you think he was talking nonsense? Or do you think he had a point? What are you going to do about it? You know, or, or ask about the talk about the Bible reading plan. Oh, today uh, we read about 
Jacob. We read about Esau. Okay, uh, this, this Jacob, uh, horrible fellow, and then now God use him. Uh, uh, maybe God also can use us even though we're so horrible. So, uh, or, or maybe even talk about you know, what was learned during Sunday school. Okay, the young parents probably do that. Uh, or discuss discussion questions that we give every week. Okay, so just some ideas within your family to interact in your faith. Another great place to share faith and life. Of course, it's a small group. I've been talking about this for years. I won't harp on it, but you know lah, okay? Uh, we share life, we share faith together in small groups, most effectively uh, in small groups in our church. Uh, or a fellowship group, Methodist Senior Fellowship, Methodist Women, Methodist Youth Fellowship, even the Boys Brigade. Opportunities to share faith and life. Another way, less formal uh, for those of you who are like, I don't want to join all these organizations. Another way to, is to simply gather a group of Christian friends together, go for a drink, go for a meal, and purposely have a conversation about your faith. Purposely talk about how God has been working in your life, how you've been struggling, whatever, right? An intentional conversation. And so these are just some simple ways to find Christian community for yourself. Now let's look at the last aspect of Christian community. Compelling reason for community. I've given many reasons for why we should remain in community already, but I want to focus on the bigger picture that the day is approaching. Uh, so let's consider how we might spur one another on towards love and good deeds, uh, encouraging one another, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as we see the day approaching. This day that the, writing of Hebrews, uh, that the writer of Hebrews is referring to is the same day of the Lord that is mentioned by Jesus and Paul and Peter in their letters. It's referring to the day when Jesus returns, the second coming of Christ, the end of the world as we know it, uh, which, which triggers judgment for all who ever lived, and each person either spends eternity with God in heaven or eternity apart from God in hell. Now think about that. The writer of Hebrews effectively says, remain in community even more so as you see the day approaching. Why would he say that? Now, verse 26 onwards seems to talk about those who knowingly reject Jesus, meaning either they don't persevere in their faith or their faith is not real in the first place. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, the day of the Lord is approaching where those who don't have faith will face judgment. And that is a very compelling reason to remain in community. Friends, we don't know when Jesus will come again. All we know is we won't expect it. But until then, we need to influence and be influenced for Christ. To persevere in the faith by encouraging and spurring one another on. To stay away from the slippery slope of drifting away from God because we are not in Christian community. We might assume that the context of persevering in faith in the middle of intense persecution by the Roman Empire 
is not a situation that is applicable to us today. The temptation of abandoning our faith is not as strong today. But when you think about this, Christians, so talking about the, the Christians of that day, they were in danger of abandoning their faith because of the kind of world that they were in. And because of their faith, they stuck out from the rest. And life was much easier for those who weren't Christians. And so you boil it down to the key issues. The threat of falling away from the faith is just as real today. We might not be at risk of physical harm right now because of our faith, but the external threat is still there. In fact, uh, history has proven that when the church is persecuted and it's most difficult to, to uh, even a danger of uh, safety and, and life, the church has grown and in the freedom of religion, the church has declined. And so the threat is just as real today. Uh, the external threat is still there from the world. The world doesn't approve of being a Christian in general, right? Uh, it doesn't mean that people say, oh, you shouldn't be Christian and you know, being a Christian is bad. But look at how Christianity is portrayed in media, for example. How many of you watch Netflix? How many of you have watched uh, Kim's Convenience? Korean one? No? Uh, how many of you have watched, uh, what was it? Uh, Young Sheldon, spin-off from Big Bang Theory, right? Just some examples, huh? The portrayal of Christians in shows nowadays are always supremely negative, right? Christianity has become a joke. Uh, the cringiest moments are when the Christians come on scene, either the pastor la, or whatever church member, la, and, and you see how they act, what they talk, and, and it always gives you that portrayal that Christians are crazy, Christians are ridiculous, Christians are hypocrites, Christians are, are deluding themselves. And there's always this negative impression of being a Christian. So you don't want to associate, uh, if you're not a Christian, you naturally don't want to associate yourself with that kind of character. And so the threat is real from the world. The internal threat is also there. We might feel that it's easier to just live as a non-Christian. Back when we didn't know Christ, didn't know about His teachings, didn't know about what we should or should not do, just chase the pleasures that this world offers, throw away the Christian values that get in the way of what we feel like pursuing. That temptation is also there. And so friends, when we feel like that, when we feel threatened by the world, threatened by our sinful nature from within, Christian community helps to anchor us. It helps, to, helps us to persevere in our faith. It doesn't mean we won't face temptation, but it helps us. It, it draws us away from the temptation to refocus our, our eyes and our heart on the Lord. And so the day of the Lord today is nearer than it was when the letter, of, uh, the, the letter to the Hebrews was written. And so all the more, we need to remain in Christian community. 
both in church and in our families. In conclusion, last week was about personal growth. I asked us to consider what we wanted to do this year to ensure some sort of spiritual growth that we would be satisfied with. My challenge this week is, what sort of practical fruit are you expecting? You know, whatever you're committed to do, maybe start a Bible reading plan, maybe it was uh, do a daily devotion, maybe it was to go for a small group, whatever your, your uh, commitment was, what sort of practical fruit are you expecting from whatever you're committed to do? The book of James reminds us that evidence of our faith is love, good deeds, right? That faith without works is dead. Uh, and if you have faith, it should result in good works, right? Love and good deeds. And so as you progress in the area of personal spiritual growth, what are some practical indicators of that progression that you expect to see in your community life? Do you expect to be more generous towards others, perhaps? Do you expect to be more encouraging? Do you expect to be less quick to get angry? Think about it. Talk to God about it. Write it down in your spiritual journal. And so I'd like you to know that Christians must remain in community to influence and be influenced for Christ. I'd like you to be an example of faith for others in your community. Allow the Lord to use you to build others up. And do find Christian community wherever you are. Make a conscious effort to be part of Christian community as the day approaches. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh,